the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's hear it for our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Oh, yeah. That's uh, <laughs> Noel right there. I'm I'm Ben. Uh, the three of us are coming in hot off of an exploration of breakfast cereal, uh, which was went in some pretty interesting, uh, interesting directions, I'd say. But we also mentioned something that I think has fascinated all of us in, in that episode. We talked about a thing that many of our fellow ridiculous historians may have grown up with, the food pyramid scheme. Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> no, this was like on like uh, posters in gym class, you know? This was uh this is this is to be believed fully, right? There's the science behind it. Also, I mean, yeah, why can you believe something that calls itself a pyramid when it's clearly a triangle? It is not a 3D shape. It is a triangle. It is a food triangle. Do you think that came up in the pitch meeting about the thing? Like pyramid just sounds sexier than triangle. Mm-hmm. Also, do you think the Illuminati had anything to do with it? Just just a thought. Just putting that out there. All the sweet stuff's at the top where the unblinking eye goes. That's right. That's where the sweet uh, stuff belongs, baby. At the top. Yeah, because, you know, it's a, a pyramid is, you know, you think of the things at the top being better inherently, but uh, yeah. that's not the case with a pyramid or a triangle. This isn't really a traditional hierarchy in terms of like a list, you know, where the, the lowest is the worst and the top is the best. It's sort of inverted from that, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. The... Um, you have almost doubtlessly heard of this if you live in the West, definitely if you live in the U.S., up until 2011, up until the early 2000s, really, the you would be a school kid and you'd be presented 
with this thing that is, yeah, basically a triangle, and it's got six sections. To your point, Noel, at the very bottom, the biggest part of the whole shebang is bread, cereal, rice, and pasta. And you're, you're, you're recommended a number of servings you should have each day. So the food pyramid says you should mostly be eating this stuff at the bottom, six to 11 servings per day. And then it, it goes up to uh, vegetables and fruit together. They're like the next two blocks, right? That's right. And we, you know, we, we certainly talked about this on the cereal episode, how the kind of base of the pyramid is bread, cereal, rice, and pasta and all that. Then we have veggies and fruits, but also we know that fruits contain kind of a lot of sugar. Uh, sometimes. So best to sort of temper that. Maybe veggies should be that whole section and then fruits should maybe be a little bit under. Sweets? I don't know. Like, I think I think certain opinions are divided on whether the sugar in fruit is like better than the sugar, like, you know, refined right. sugar that's right. in things like breakfast cereal. Yeah, no, that's the thing. What we're What we're saying now may strike you as a bit off if you if you really think through it, uh, the number of servings recommended versus the stuff that you would actually eat every day or the stuff your doctor or nutritionist may have uh, told you to follow. So, yeah, you go above fruit and vegetables and then you get to milk, yogurt and cheese as well as meat uh, of any kind and then beans, eggs and nuts, the proteins. Those are only two to three servings each. And then at the very, very top, with the Illuminati eye, you got fat, oils, and sweets. I'm just going to be 100% honest with you guys. I have not ever probably followed this. Yeah, I don't know how. I mean, I guess the serving, also we know serving sizes in and of themselves mm -hmm. are a little problematic because they used to not really be as much of a thing in terms of accuracy, you know? And now I think, a lot of these companies have sort of been pressured, maybe not pre pressured is the right word, it's probably the law, into having accurate serving sizes. So while you might think that like a pot pie would be one serving, it's actually two servings. And those things are about a thousand calories, uh, those, those yeah. chicken pot pies, if you eat the whole thing. So, but also it's, 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 a, it's like a personal pan pizza, right? Like that's, it's for me. I'm supposed to eat this in, in one sitting. I ate an entire one of them a few nights ago, and I don't feel bad at all about it. I've Give done it, it time. <laughs> your, your days are numbered, Max. Your days are numbered. So what's strange about this is for many people, this is one of those things you didn't question growing up, right? Depending on how old you were, this was simply presented to you as a fact all throughout grade school. And it... <sighs> One way we can get into this is uh, with some excellent research by you, Max, where you cite uh, Jesse Rhodes over at Smithsonian Magazine, who said the following, some of the information I learned in school isn't holding up so well. Pluto's no longer a planet. Basics of CPR have been heavily re revised. So I'm now the absolute last person who went around in the event of an emergency. And now the USDA is raising the food pyramid to make way for a new visual model to help Americans figure out how to plan a balanced diet. Is that out yet? What, what does the new uh, visual model look like? It certainly didn't get the same press support that the, uh, that the food pyramid did. Oh, yeah. It's called My Plate. And Noel, ready to have your socks blown off? Oh, yeah. Always. It's been out for 12 years. Yeah. 
Well, 11 and a half years. Isn't that funny, though? I mean, it doesn't really surprise me, but I guess, you know, what we've already said with all of the posters and just, you know, the presidential fitness challenge and things like that that we grew up with, the food pyramid was just always front and center. And to your point, Ben, like almost presented just to be believed as facts. Because, of course, right. the government put it out. So the government wouldn't lie to us, right? They're, they're, they're like completely neutral and uh, in terms of our health, right? They want us to thrive and live our best lives. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I wish I could say, I wish I could agree. And I love, I, I think we both know where this is going. It, it reminds me that this is the, this is the same country where growing up, there would just be ads for milk, just trade groups saying you should drink milk, not a specific kind of milk, not a brand. They just, the, the food industry was involved. And that's what we see here, right? Because we know diet is not a one size fits all thing. We know that the food pyramid, which was introduced in its um, dominant form in 1992, the food pyramid forgets some things. It forgets that there are good and bad carbs, good and bad fats. It's a little bit compromised, you could say, by lobbying groups in the world of cattle and dairy, right? Of course, those are massive interests. I mean, the whole beef, it's what's for dinner campaign, you know, or milk, uh, ex exactly, all of that stuff. They were ubiquitous and was very little actual data behind them. It was all just kind of like campaigns to get people on board with these massive industrial interests, you know? I mean, this is like factory farming type stuff. These are legacy operations. Not to mention, do y'all remember when they started putting soda machines in schools? Like, yes. that was a kind of controversial thing at the time, but it didn't stop them from happening. I distinctly remember being in high school and you could get surge, which was, you know, Mm -hmm. The amount of uh, sugar and caffeine, and it's like it puts Mountain Dew to shame. There was even something called Josta. I don't even think they make it anymore, but it was Josta uh -huh. with guarana, <laughs> and it had like a like a like a, a panther on the on the mm -hmm. on the label, and wow. it was this kind of like supplementy ginseng kind of thing. Nobody talks about Josta with guarana anymore because it wasn't good, and it's not like the kids that were buying this stuff were being policed. You've had too much soda, little Johnny. No, it was just, it was a commercial interest being inserted into the schools. And Josta did make a little bit of, come, of a comeback, by the way. It is in the Disney Plus series, Loki. If you want to check it out, they remember Josta. But this, this is true. And people would pay a lot of money, too, for those sodas, right? They would be more expensive than your average non-school-based vending machine. So yeah, financial interests were definitely involved in some of the decisions here that were presented as fact. So you could argue the food pyramid has a, some like a conspiracy in its origin story. But let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the origin. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one, and that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino, and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it so. Uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. So the USDA, back in the day, formed their first dietary guidance for Americans based on a farmer's bulletin that was written by a guy named W.O. Atwater in 1894. Atwater who worked for uh, the Office of Experiment Stations in the USDA. Mm. Right. That sounds how, completely above board. Right. How vague is that? What do you do yeah. for a living, sir? Well, baby, I like to experiment. Yeah. Um, at he, stations. At stations. Uh, he said, okay, I'm going to figure out diets, but his diet was uh, specifically for American males. He said, we're going to look at 
uh, the ideal level of protein, carbohydrate, fat, and mineral matter, specifically ash, <laughs> that, that these growing boys need. Yeah, Noel's making the perfect face for that. Yeah, he ash? slid that one in at the end. Yeah, <laughs> Like as yeah. a byproduct of, uh, of farming? Like fire. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I know that ash can be a good, like, nutrient-rich thing for, uh, for uh, what's Soil. the word I'm looking for? Soil, yeah, of course. Are you not eating enough ash? I, I don't know. I, I never really <laughs> thought about it as, as part of my uh, my nutritional portfolio until this exact minute. Um, but specifically, we're talking also about minerals and vitamins like iron, vitamin C, calcium, and all that stuff. And as we know and discussed in the cereal episode, some of these things became kind of like buzz terms, you know, like Ooh. your daily allowance, you know, a vitamin C, not allowance, uh, it's, it's a necessity. You want X amount of vitamin C and uh, and calcium in your daily diet. And, you, and boy, howdy, you can achieve that with one bowl of Cap'n Crunch. Or ash. Or ash. Uh, yeah, it's weird because he says ash, we think, because like, like you were saying, Noel, at this point in time, there were a lot of specific minerals and vitamins that science didn't know about. They hadn't, spe- they hadn't been able to pin down those culprits. Uh, so Let's fast forward. The first complete USDA food guide, Food for Young Children, uh, is written by a nutritionist named Carolyn Hunt, and it comes out in 1916. I think this is where we start to see the the uh, predecessors of the food pyramid. Yeah, like instead of, you know, talking about minerals, instead we're talking more about foodstuffs like milk and meat cereals, grains, pasta, you know, vegetables and fruits, fats and fatty foods, sugars and uh, other foods that are high in sugar. Um, The food guide that we're in question here was followed up in 1917 by specific dietary recommendations. And I I think this is maybe when we started really hearing these referred to as food groups, Mm -hmm. because that's also a thing I remember from health class growing up is talking about how important the, the food groups are. Yeah, yeah, it's we. This is where we were taught that, that foods roll in clicks, and you have to be careful which clicks you mess with. Uh, yeah, the there were these five groups, right? Um, there's a little bit of change over time, but basically they're the same groups that'll later end up in the food pyramid. In 1917, the very next year, there is a publication called "How to Select Foods." And it is full of dietary recommendations based on this five food group theory. In the 1930s, of course, the depression comes along. Life is absolutely terrible for most people living in the country. And a lot of people are trying to survive intense economic hardship, a lot of privation. You know, you could say, hey, here are the food groups, all the live long day. But the reality is, a lot of people can't afford. To eat healthy. And this definitely influenced uh, diet advice. Yeah. I mean, they maybe wouldn't have access to certain types of produce or they wouldn't have access, you know, is what we would maybe consider today certain areas being called food deserts. But this is sort of twofold that there was like a lot of non arable land, you know, because of the Dust Bowl and agriculture becoming increasingly difficult because of droughts and in certain parts of the country. So, yeah, you literally wouldn't have access to that. So it was all about just kind of getting your calories in so that you could survive. I mean, I always think of, uh, you know, there's a really heartbreaking scene in The Grapes of Wrath where a grown adult is 
I think like drinking breast milk from from somebody, you know, because that was the only way they could actually get sustenance. It's yeah, it's harrowing, right? And this is where we start to see food economists weighing in. So 1933, again, very terrible time. Hazel Stiebeling uh, is a food economist working for the USDA, and she develops food plans that are specifically meant to be cheap. They're they're supposed to be um, tiered in terms of cost. This will help you shop for food, you know, uh, or this is you know, if you look at it, uh, as you get to the lower cost, there's an emphasis on being able to grow your own vegetables, right? To to avoid having to spend money you don't have at the grocery store. And they give you 12 major food groups. Mm. Uh, and it's like a week by week thing. It's, it's pretty interesting. I've seen um, similar stuff, honestly, in like survival advice. Like here's the basic food you need to survive in, in the woods when you're camping. Well, because a lot of this stuff, you know, at the end of the day is a luxury, you know, to, to be able to choose to eat healthy and to have a variety of foodstuffs in your diet, uh, as opposed to just like eating neutral loaf or some sort of like bar that just gives you, you know, the bare essentials of what a human body needs to survive. Oh, and you know what? We got, we put our uh, carbs before our fats here. Sorry, everybody. Uh, the USDA is is the short name for the United States Department of Agriculture. Just in case that isn't clear. If everybody thought we were saying, you know, the uniform stressful diet of, uh, uniform stressful diet adherence. No, it's, it's agriculture. Anyway, uh, so World War II. Starts. We're out of the depression, but now there's a huge war. And countries are all across the board kind of trying to keep their citizens healthy and give them good advice while also knowing that everybody's having a tough time again. This is the era of war rationing, right? In some parts of the world, you have coupons that allow you to buy stuff and only certain amounts. Hannah McLeod in writing for Smoky Mountain News, and you found this one, Max, notes that the food pyramid, as we recognize it, was born out of hardship. And you can tell, Hannah argues, because there are some things that are just confusing, the way that they're grouped. That's right. The U.S. Department of Agriculture, USDA, released the basic seven food guide. So we're, we're down from 12 now to seven in 1943 with the tagline, U.S. needs a strong eat the basic seven every day. And this grouping actually wasn't awful. Like it had a little bit of, uh, of nuts and bolts kind of sense behind it. Uh, raw cabbage somehow, though, ended up in the oranges, tomatoes and grapefruit section um, yeah. instead of in the, the vegetables or the green and yellow vegetables section, which is a little odd. Also, in the same way that I think it's odd that a, that a tomato is a fruit, although it, it is that for scientific reasons because of the seeds and all of that. Yeah, just think about that. Like first thing in the morning, you're like, ah, I could have my orange juice, I can have my grapefruit juice, or I could have my cabbage juice. Mm-mm. I can't wait till someone figures out a cereal that combines grain and cabbage. Well, if, I'm not done. well, if I'm not mistaken, cabbage was also a very hearty crop and uh, and very, you know, um, con- contained a lot of those essential vitamins and minerals and and calories. 
So, I mean, it was, you know, here in Atlanta, we've got a neighborhood called Cabbage Town. And that's because uh, a lot of farmers would sell their cabbages there during times of economic difficulty. And it was something that the average folks could afford. Is that really why Cabbage Town's named that? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's cool. Hey, uh, can I get the more you know? Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Noel. I learned something today. Yes, yeah, so the idea is the idea here is to incentivize people also to eat things that they might not normally eat so that we can get around some of the constraints of war. The very first quote unquote food pyramid doesn't really come from World War II, though. It comes from the 1970s and another uh, time of economic hardship. Not in the U.S., but in Sweden. Here in the U.S., a lot of people see Sweden as a pretty expensive country. And it is uh, in some ways. So they were fighting high food prices back in the 70s. And so the government went to the National Board of Health and Welfare and said, all right, we need your help with this. We need to help people navigate this runaway inflation, these food prices. So this group, this national board, the Social Stirelsin, they say, all right, here's how we're going to divide this. We're going to talk about basic and supplementary foods. Basic foods are the things you have to eat to survive. Supplementary foods are things that provide vitamins and minerals that your basic stuff doesn't. Right. Um, so, so, you know, supplementary, just like the word uh, means typically things that are not absolute necessities, you know, to survival, perhaps maybe a little bit more of a luxury. Uh, but it was Anne Britt Agstetter, Agstetter uh, who worked for the Cooperative Furbundet, uh, which is a Swedish co-op union um, representing retail and grocery workers. It was her who pushed the idea to the next level uh, and gave it kind of a a bit of a codification. So this essentially took the ideas that the Social uh, Stierelsen had about basic food groups to the next level by developing the idea of a proportional model, you know, sort of a hierarchy, something of a triangle. You know, with the mm. most important stuff on the bottom, and then as it progressed and tapered to a point, you'd see the less uh, necessary foods represented. So it was kind of almost like a hierarchy of needs kind of situation where it's like, okay, you're fine if you just stick to these big ones on the bottom. And as it goes upward, you're not going to die <laughs> from, <laughs> from malnutrition if you maybe don't have enough of these. Yeah. And this really is a masterstroke. This is a great idea because most people in the world then as now are not nutritionists, us included. So having that visual representation makes the information, uh, I hate the accidental wordplay here, easy to digest. You know, you can look at it and you can, your brain can instantly intuitively understand, I should have more of this. I should have less of this. It's not perfect, but it's a really cool idea. Uh, and props to you on a Brit. So the Swedish public learns about this shortly thereafter. It's published in an annual magazine by that Swedish cooperative union. And the headline is Good Wholesome Food at Reasonable Prices. They also 
had a little bit of tension at this point. The Swedish government tried to distance itself from the pyramid to introduce something called a dietary circle model. Ugh, the old circle versus the pyramid argument. Uh, uh, same ranges as it ever to was. this day. Yeah. 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 And the um the thing was this circular model could show you what foods were important, but unlike the pyramid, it didn't explicitly show you how much of each type of food should be consumed. Anyway, this was the first of its kind. And it was a triangle or a pyramid in shape, but it was not not the one that you might know and love from the U.S. There were uh, some very different aspects of these. The one from the U.S., the westernized model, it's different not so much because there was a better understanding of nutrition and health over time. It's like we teased at the beginning this model was affected by lobbyists, by interest groups in big agriculture, in the food industry. Uh, they were th willing to throw millions of dollars into how their products were represented here. Well, Ben, you, you might have a, a different perspective or more nuance, but like the U.S. Department of Agriculture, it is a regulatory body, but it was originally, you know, established to promote agriculture and to make sure that farmers and farms had what they needed because this is an important part of the, you know, um, economic portfolio of the, the country, not to mention um, making sure that citizens had what they needed to survive and to eat. So it makes sense that they would kind of, from the start, have been in bed with big business uh, rep interests that represented agriculture when we moved from like a more agrarian economy to something that, that that was really represented by a more corporate kind of structures. Yeah. And, you know, that's well said. And also, I would add that we don't want to demonize these groups entirely. The, the reality is they need to have, they need to exist because this way you can enforce some uniform standards right? Some safety practices, some hygienic stuff. There, There is a good reason for them to be there. But also they are private industries, so their primary thing is going to be profit year over year. The USDA's food guide comes out uh, mid-1980s. It's called A Pattern for Daily Food Choices. Uh, and it had been used for a while, but People didn't know a lot about it. So it's 1988 when the eggheads in the uh, U.S. decide, all right, we're going we're gonna to do what the Swedish did. We're going to make a graphic presentation of our food guide, and we're going to try to easily show people three things. Variety. How much different stuff should I eat? Proportionality. How much of it should I eat in comparison to other groups? And moderation. When should I pump the brakes? on all that sweet, sweet sugar. And they also arrived at a pyramid. It just sounds good. It sounds official. It sounds like a plan, is well, the it, thing. It, it, but it's also PR, because oh, yeah. on the one hand, yeah, they're putting out these guides that they have plausible deniability when they also green light soda machines in schools. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm drinking uh, a soda now. 
Sorry. I mean, I, I like a Coca-Cola classic as a treat, but I mean, I, you know, kind of cut that out of my life in favor of, you know, less caloric, uh, sugary, fizzy drinks. You know, I I'm, drink I'm coffee too. I'm coffee's fizzy. great, but I like the, you know, LaCroix of the world. And obviously we're living in uh, a, a time now where sugary drinks have a bad rap, you know, for good reason. Yeah. So a lot of those companies have had to diversify and do more like kind of, you know, uh, low calorie fizzy water kind of alternatives. Yeah, this is um th- this is a good point. No, not everybody is a fan of La Croix or Montaigne or whatever, but the or La Croix. But the um, you know, I like what's the old joke? The lemon flavored seltzer water sounds like you're walking down a hallway and someone in another room goes lemon. Like like this, right? It's, it's like, more for the fizz. Yeah, I've I, I heard described as somebody shouting the name of a fruit from the next room. My yeah. girlfriend thinks that uh, like flavored Lacroix and stuff taste like television static. I don't know. I what see that. that. Means, yeah, but. especially the citrus ones. For some reason, it sparks me synesthesia. Have you guys had the limoncello or the limoncello? I don't like uh, it. Yes, it's I like don't like creamy. creamy. It's weird. No, it's, yeah. it's way too much. I mean, I I like just plain soda water. So like, if I get a one with a little bit of lemon, that's good to me. But like, that's like, oh God, what is this in my mouth? Yeah, I'm I'm like, give give me a good iced coffee, you know, uh, and I'll take a I'll take a soda as a treat because I associate them with going to the movies. You know what I mean? That's where you get the popcorn and the soda and, and make the bad food decisions. But do you ever put M and M's in your popcorn? That's a thing people apparently do. Yeah, I do it all the time. Yeah, right on. I, I mean, when I eat popcorn, I guess I didn't know that you were a, a monstrosity. I'm uh, peanut butter no, M and M's. It, it sounds good. I like uh, Reese's Pieces, and uh, a lot of people don't realize Reese's Pieces or Reese's Pieces, as I like to call them, contain no chocolate. It, it's basically no. just just peanut butter with a thin candy shell. And the only reason they're so famous is because M&M's didn't work out for E.T. the extraterrestrial. They were supposed to be M&M's originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, product placement. It's a hell of a drug. Product placement, baby. Anyway, this show is brought to you by Josta. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one, and that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino, and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it so. Uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like, uh, 
a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now. Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. All right, so the Food Guide Pyramid, this might surprise people who've grown up with it your entire life. The Food Guide Pyramid wasn't released until 1992. Which really blew my mind. Right. Because to me, it's just something that I always have known. I just assumed that it had been around. It seems like a 60s thing, doesn't it? Kind it of, even the design like of it. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there may be things where the Swedish model was presented in some textbooks or something beforehand, but the official food guide pyramid, as the U.S. understands it, comes out in 1992. It's supposed to help you visualize uh, the proportion uh, proportions and moderation you should be using from those dietary guidelines. It shows you the name uh, names of the food groups and some basically clip art of what they look like. Like here is a loaf of bread. Oh, that's a fish. Uh, and they're separated. You know, they're segregated throughout the the pyramid. You can see um, the variety in those pictures the little icons of what kind of food counts as a grain or a bread or a pasta or whatever. Uh, then you can see proportionality because they'll give you a rough size in the pyramid and then they'll list servings. Even though, you know, again, as we know, serving sizes are wildly misrepresented here in, in U.S. grocery stores. Yeah, I mean, like I said, if, if you know where, where to look, you can get whatever the USDA appropriate serving size is for a given product. But a lot of people don't dig that deep and assume that, like, I can just eat the whole pot pie or eat the whole, you know, lean cuisine or whatever it might be. But usually if you get a small bag of chips, even that's like two serving sizes, even though you, you would nuts. assume that it's this is meant to be consumed in one sitting. This is one serving because it comes in a small bag, right? And restaurants don't help either. 
That's the thing that continually baffles my friends who are not from the United States. A lot of times when people visit the United States, the first thing they clock is the wide variety of food and the fact that so much food is thrown at you. Free refills are not a thing in a lot of other parts of the world. But that that's always amazing to me as well. You know, when when I go through phases where I don't go to a bunch of restaurants, I'm still continually amazed when I realize almost any main course I order is like two meals. Yeah. And if you go to like a fine dining place, for example, you might bulk at the serving size or like at the amount of food on the plate. But if it's done well and it tastes good, you'll probably end up getting to sample more small plates and small kind of things and not walk away hungry, but also not walk away gorged, which I think to me is the the perfect uh, meal experience. You know, I want to taste different things, have an enjoyable culinary experience, but not feel uh, like Logie and, and horrible afterwards. Max, I see your eyes lighting up here. Yes, yes, yes. As Noel and Ben both know, I've spent many Years. a day tend- tending, a, uh, tending a table or, or tending a bar. And I remember I worked at a tapas restaurant at one point and you would have like, guy- like guys come in, you know, 20s, 30s and stuff like that. And they order their food and they look at their plate and they'd be just like, what is this? I'm like, it's topless, man. It's supposed to be really small. You're supposed to get like five of them. <sighs> You're like, I thought it was topless. Where, where's uh, the pole? You know? We actually worked on a concept of a place called Topless Tapas, where all of us were topless. I mean, uh-huh. it wasn't, it wasn't, not in a sexual way. It's an artistic way. Oh, yeah, sure. Every, everyone, everyone's topless, you know? Yeah. Like the cooks, the customers, uh-huh. everyone. Well, okay. Seem hygienically sound, but anyway, you know, the we'll, genius we'll of tapas is uh, someone saying, "Hey, what if we just charged eight more dollars for this appetizer?" Actually, I'm I'm being rude because that's U.S. tapas. Tapas where they're from in Spain are supposed to come free at wine bars to keep you drinking wine. That's where tapas come from, <laughs> and, and their association got Americanized a little bit. Tapas places can be delicious. It's just that bill sneaks up on you. That bill will come for you at the end. Uh, and most of my friends who love tapas love it because they go on they go on dates where someone else pays at the tapas restaurant. If I'm ever in a situation like that, my friends, I'm going to come back radicalized. I'm going to be like, oh my god, have you guys heard of tapas? It's amazing. What about stroopwafels? You guys know about stroopwafels? I've got it's some this, in the, it's this uh, incredible in the delicacy from, you know, <laughs> my travels, my backpacking travels. <laughs> They're not bad with coffee. Are you are you a stroopwafel guy? You know They're where good. I get them? Yeah. I get They're them good. at Buford Highway Farmers Market. Well, that's where you get more variety, but the joke is this is the, this dude that I follow on TikTok uh, made a funny video where he did a song about some kind of Broy dude, like like say, hey, have you heard of Stroop waffles? I discovered them in my travels abroad in Scandinavia. But the joke is that you get them at Starbucks, and they've been there for you know years. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, I got you. Well, this this guy might be a little confused if he's trying to figure out where Stroop waffle fits in to the food pyramid, and that's because the food pyramid is still kind of imperfect. You would know that. Uh, the very top of the pyramid is more a category of things that could be added to foods. So candy is high in sugar. That exists in that top part, that the part you're supposed to use sparingly. Uh, foods that are high in fat might fit in there too. Uh, maybe think 
just some really good fatty barbecue brisket. But uh, to your point, Ben, fats have gotten maligned, you know, oh, yeah. conveniently. By the sugar industry. By the sugar industry. So there's this push and pull between all of these different interests, you know, in terms of like which is the good thing and which is the bad thing and how can we kind of spin it uh, one way or the other. But there are fats and certain amounts of fats that are good, you know, or mm-hmm. quote unquote good good fats. And it's all about balance at the end of the day that is irrespective of some sort of like PR line because, you know, we know, and we've known this from the start, this really is more about protecting these interests and representing them and covering the butts of the USDA who also do things behind closed doors that are not very good for, you know, the health of of, uh, citizens of the United States. I'm so glad you're saying that. There's a reason for the structure of the 1992 pyramid. Uh, Max, hit us with some like, Unsolved Mysteries music. There it is. It was bought and paid for. According to Louise Light, one of the nutritionists who worked on making the food pyramid for the USDA, the original version, the one nutritionist came up with, looked a heck of a lot different from the one that ended up being published. The Office of the Secretary of Agriculture altered wording to emphasize processed food over fresh and whole foods and to downplay things like lean meat or low-fat dairy. They also changed the servings, which is one of like the most important parts of the equation. They upped the um, grains and they lowered the servings of fruit and veg, right? Well, let's also not forget that the history of this thing really was one of economic scarcity, you know, of, of, of issues where like, what's the most affordable thing? And that's why we have a bit of a health crisis or, you know, I mean, I think it's mainly heading in the right direction now, but with things like, you know, processed foods and, and fast food and all of that stuff that is very limitedly regulated, you know, I mean, it's all about freedom of choice here in the United States. It's not necessarily about how can we make sure that people are making the right choices so that we don't have to, you know, cover their diabetes treatment and have uh, private insurance rates skyrocket. Whereas in other countries, yeah, you might have slightly limited, more limited choices, but it's also more affordable to get healthcare and like everybody gets right. it because there's more of a culture of moderation in other countries that doesn't really exist in this country because we're a country who's uh, based on free market economy and uh, and choices and therefore advertising aka uh, essentially um, propaganda you know that's making people feel good about eating these fatty nostalgic kind of foods you know yeah, this podcast brought to you by Fatty Nugs, just pure breaded nuggets of fat, a mm-hmm. Tyson production. Uh, no, Indeed. I, I, don't, I don't think Fatty Nugs are a thing yet. I think it's, it's something different. I think that's uh, that's like California that's a different slang. That's a different type of agriculture. Yeah. There it is. There exactly. we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you fast forward. Everybody knows there are problems with this. You fast forward in 2005, the food pyramid in the U.S. is revised And they're trying to correct some things here. They get rid of some things that could have influenced people toward bad decisions. They get a redesign and people have problems with it. People have problems that would seem weirdly specific unless you're in the industry. For instance, the Potato Boys, 
which is are just it's not a weird cartoonish Irish gang from the 1800s. It's not from Gang of of New York. It's a street term for lobbyists, the potato lobbying group. They were super mad because they felt that potatoes were de-emphasized in the new graphics. You know, we've given you so much money. What are you doing here? And then they also said, look, if you want good nutrition advice with this thing, you can't just see it on the pyramid. You have to go to the USDA website because the pyramid itself now doesn't give you any information about serving and portion sizes. It's just about proportion of food groups to each other. Yeah. And, and, you know, you'd think to the discerning consumer, this wouldn't be an issue. You could go and, you know, do your own homework. But no, when it comes to graphics and things that are presented to the general population, simple is is the key, you know, and dumbing it down is is the way, is the name of the game. So if you're one of these industries and, and you're looking at the official, you know, image that's being put out and your product isn't on there represented in the actual picture... <laughs> That's a real problem, you know, because no one typically is going to look past the cover, you know, of the, of the book. They're, they're not, or like the blurb, right? It's all about uh, appearances because by and large, most consumers aren't going to be savvy in that way and aren't going to look behind the scenes to actually see what else is there. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's still an imperfect system. That's why in 2011, the USDA released my plate, like MySpace, but it's a plate. Think Never about heard of it. it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think it was past our time. Uh, and this just said, uh, let's think not in terms of what you should eat per day, but what you should eat per meal. And the plate is split up into four basically equal parts uh, with a side of dairy beside the plate because the milk lobby, uh, the dairy lobbies still have a lot of a lot of cow juice, a lot of juice. But also, this makes me think of like with more vegan lifestyles and vegetarian lifestyles that doesn't really jive with the uh, with the food pyramid or with any of this stuff because it seems you know on the surface that you're leaving out all of these important sections potentially, right? Or right. that or, or or that it's like it's weighted incorrectly, you know? Yeah, and then. You can also see that this is a continuing conversation. Something like this has to exist. It's good that it exists, but it's not the be-all, end-all solution. Uh, maybe we wrap up today's show by talking about some other countries around the world who have uh, taken their own shot at this. Uh, I, I'm particularly impressed with China's because Belgium and China both hit two big things that the U.S. food pyramid forgot. Well, Belgium, first of all, called it what Max said it should have been called from the start, which is the food triangle, because it's true, a, a, a pyramid is a three-dimensional object, uh, and, and it really is. It's a triangle, but pyramid just sounds sexier. I do love that China did, though, lean into the whole, like, you know, um, structural aspect of it by calling it the food pagoda, yeah. uh, which is sort <laughs> of like a Chinese pyramid uh, in some ways, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's a structure, but they, okay, so the really smart thing that they they do in the food guide pagoda is they recommend the big missing equation, which every nutritionist will tell you 
if you want to live a healthy lifestyle, a big part of it is what you eat, but the other big part is moderate, regular exercise. Mm -hmm. So they include recommended physical activities, uh, something that works out to being like walking 6,000 steps a day. Uh, and then Belgium, they put water in the food pyramid. How do we forget about water? How do we forget Hydration about water? Is, I mean, we haven't said that one time this whole episode. After shouting out like three different sodas, three different times. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, water is is crucial. I mean, water, as we've talked about many times on Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, is probably going to be one of the resources that's going to cause serious division in terms of the availability of it, who controls it. And that's because you can survive uh, without eating food for, I think, long than you can without drinking water. I believe that's that's accurate. Yes, that is accurate. If you are out in terrible sideways situation, one of the first things you want to secure is some kind of access to potable water, especially if you think you're going to be stuck there. It's a just a terrible way to go. And it is kind of a bummer that we have to think about this stuff in somewhat dystopian terms sometimes. But let's go back to the start of all of this, which was the Great Depression, which is about as Mad Max as our country has ever become. You know, hey, speaking of Max, uh, Mad Max just in terms of, you know, Thunderdome and like a, a, a arid wasteland that we, you know, have to fight for our lives in order to survive. In Mad Max, what I would argue is the best Mad Max movie, uh, Fury, Fury Road, Road, it's all about control over the water supply aqua cola man that's good there's a i can't wait for the uh the next the film furiosa yeah uh, furiosa is yeah. coming mm -hmm. out yeah so here we go folks the food pyramid it's a good idea that is also partially affected by conspiracy uh and if you are uh more on the technical side of shapes, then you will also readily admit this is, in fact, a, a triangle. Unless you have a defense for why it should be called a pyramid, we'd love to hear it. Find us uh, at Ridiculous Historians on Facebook. Thanks, of course, to our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Uh, Noel, I just start, this makes me, honestly, this makes me want to thank a bunch of foods I know I'm not supposed to eat. Thanks to bacon on everything. You know yeah. what I mean? Thanks to that fatty brisket. Throw some chocolate in there. You know what I mean? Uh, oh, man. I like a good mole. Fatty nuggets. Yeah. Ooh, those fatty nugs. Yeah. Give yeah, me a, like, a six-pack of those or whatever, <laughs> six-piece. Fatty nuggets. Uh, fatty <laughs> nuggets, indeed. Huge thanks to Jonathan Strickland, the quister. He's going to be back around to talk about something one of these days. Yeah. I feel like people at this point think we're totally full of it, that he has died, and that we're just right. sort of keeping his legacy alive, promising for him to one day return. But uh, it, it'll happen. It's like we were at the uh, we we're at the lawyer's office. He's reading the will, and he and part of his dying wish was for us to continually act like he was about to be back on the show. Yeah, that's really what? sweet. What's a boogeyman without the promise that he might one day appear, you know? <laughs> thanks, of course, to uh, Christopher Asiotis. Thanks to Eves Jeffcoat. Thanks to Alex Williams. Uh, Noel, this is this is a fun one, man. Uh, I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm so thankful we get to do this. Yeah, it was also a good follow-up to our uh, serial series. Our serial serial, if you will. And I think we will. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Fuma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. 